thank you all for uh, being a part of this morning's webinar on the taking of virtual depositions. Um, before we get started, I'm going to turn uh, my video off just, just so you don't have this window on the side that is distracting and, uh, and share my screen uh, so that you can follow along with, the, um, with today's PowerPoint presentation. Great, so uh, again, welcome everyone to Practicing Social Distancing and Discovery, the virtual deposition. Um, I'm joined today uh, by uh, Deb Curran of O'Brien and Levine uh, Court Reporting uh, Solutions. And before we get started, I want to first thank the Boston Bar Association and uh, particularly Daniel Tillman, who you just heard from, Sarah Mackey, Alexa Daniel, and Jenna Kim uh, for helping us put this program together. And more importantly, uh, for, um, uh, for keeping the uh, Boston Bar Association, its members engaged uh, and educated during these very difficult times. Uh, the reason we wanted to do this program is, um, is to underline ways in which attorneys can be creative uh, to keep business moving, keep cases moving, uh, despite what is essentially a pause on uh, litigation with the various court closures and some of the recent recommendations that there not even be filings uh, unless they are emergency uh, type filings. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, discovery in litigation presents a unique opportunity uh, to keep cases moving for a client, uh, especially for those firms that have primarily a litigation practice, uh, but also thinking about your client. There may be uh, certain cases that just can't wait for an extended delay uh, while we um, uh, begin to recover from the current COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, for example, one of the cases that I've been taking depositions on involve a, uh, an appeal of a zoning decision. And uh, wh whether, whether the case is moving or not, the client, of course, wants the case to end uh, so that he may proceed with uh, construction uh, of the project um, and, and to insert such a long pause as a result of the pandemic uh, obviously could harm the client as well. And so Taking vir virtual depositions is one way to keep these cases moving, uh, both for, for your firm and, uh, and for your clients. A couple of disclaimers before we begin. Um, I, today, uh, today in this presentation, I'm obviously going to be talking from my experience and, uh, and talking about the, the virtual depositions that I've conducted since the onset of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And so, these are my experiences and, of course, Deb's experiences as well. Um, in, in addition, I have, not, I have not yet defended a witness during a virtual deposition. I've only taken depositions. And so, you know, it, it, it of course, would be interesting to hear from someone at some point on uh, whether, whether they would uh, disagree with certain strategies discussed in here or logistics uh, when it comes to defending a deposition as opposed to taking one. Um, and then next, I'm not going to be talking about deposition taking strategy. I'm more so going to be focusing on how to take a virtual deposition, how to prepare for a virtual deposition, and some of the practical aspects involved of taking a virtual deposition. Uh, for um, a, a robust uh, program on strategies during a deposition, whether that be in person or virtually, uh, every year the BBA puts on a great presentation called Do's and Don'ts of Depositions. Uh, and, and I would encourage uh, folks to attend that in the future and, and perhaps see if there is a recording 
in the BBA's online, online bank. And so with that, uh, we will go ahead and get started with today's discussion. So what, what precipitated uh, the, uh, perhaps the uh, speed up of the number of virtual depositions that are being taken, or hopefully at least given more confidence to folks to start taking virtual depositions? And that is the Supreme Judicial Court Standing Order uh, OE144. Uh, this issued on March 20th, 2020, uh, specifically in response to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. And the key provision from the standing order I've quoted here is that at any deposition taken pursuant to a Massachusetts state court rule, and then if you read the standing order, it lists a number of uh, statutes and rules of civil procedure um, uh, and also rules from some of the uh, specialty courts, an officer or other person before whom the deposition is to be taken is authorized to administer oaths and take testimony without being in the presence of the deponent, so long as the officer or other person before whom the deposition is, be, is to be taken can see and hear the deponent via audio video communication equipment or technology. And this is the standing order uh, that really is a game changer that makes taking virtual depositions more seamless. Uh, the standing order really responded to the scenario where uh, everyone may be administer, uh, uh, able to do a virtual deposition, but the individual administering the oath actually has to be before the, uh, the witness uh, in order to administer the oath uh, and could not do that remotely. What's important to note is that before COVID-19, there wasn't a pro prohibition uh, to taking virtual depositions. So the ability to take virtual depositions is not anything new. Uh, Massachusetts Rule of Civil Procedure 28 that talks about um, uh, uh, having an oath being taken before an officer doesn't say anything specific about the, the method or means in which a deposition is taken. And in fact, if you look at Massachusetts Rule of Civil Procedure 29, it, it, it gives the parties to a case a lot of leeway to decide uh, how a deposition will be taken and uh, various logistics um, uh, for a deposition. Specifically, it states the parties may by written stipulation provide that depositions may be taken before any person at any time or place upon any notice and in any manner and when so taken may be used like other depositions. The real uh, new aspect of, uh, or, or I suppose the consequence of Standing Order 144 is really focused on the person that is administering the oath. Uh, the practical uh, implication in Massachusetts is most, um, most court reporters that administer oaths are also notaries public. And under state law, a notary public in order to administer oath and to confirm the identity of a witness must be in the physical presence of that individual. So what does the standing order do? It allows the person administering, oath, administering the oath to also, uh, to also participate and administer that oath remotely. One note uh, that I want to make about virtual depositions uh, before we go into some more specifics is that a virtual deposition can be, but is not automatically an audio-visual deposition. Uh, I suspect that many of us uh, by now have used either Zoom or Microsoft Teams or WebEx or some type of service uh, to engage, whether it be in online meetings or, or hearings. Um, and, uh, and you may have noticed that through many of those, uh, those platforms, there is an ability to actually record the, uh, the meeting, or in this case, it would be the deposition. 
Now, if you want to actually use that recording uh, of the virtual deposition and treat it as an audiovisual deposition that may be introduced in court, you still need to follow the practices and procedures in the Massachusetts Rule of Civil Procedure 30A. I don't think that you could notice it under Rule 30, do a virtual deposition, record the virtual deposition, and then, and then use that virtual deposition uh, in court as if it were an audio-visual deposition. So how do you prepare uh, for a virtual deposition? What are some of the things that you need to do in advance um, uh, before a virtual deposition? Honestly, it's not too different from preparing for an actual deposition, <clears throat> but you do also need to build in time to figure out logistics. And so during your preparation, uh, you also, in addition to figuring out the documents you want to use, the, the themes you want to hit, the questions you want to ask, uh, you also need to think about how you're going to carry out the virtual deposition. Uh, one of the key aspects, and Deb will talk a little bit about how uh, she does this at O'Brien and Levine Court Reporting Solutions, is to make sure that you're communicating with all parties to assess everyone's technological capabilities. Uh, it may be possible that not everyone has access to a camera or a microphone or even a laptop or a computer. Uh, it may be possible that different folks have different uh, internet bandwidth and speeds, and that may create issues during the virtual deposition. So it's important as counsel to be communicating with counsel uh, well in advance of the deposition to figure out uh, whether, um, uh, whether individuals uh, have, um, uh, have access to the technology that makes, uh, that'll make the uh, deposition seamless. Now, uh, if, you're, if you're an attorney who's uh, taking control of uh, uh, coordinating the virtual deposition, there are, there are obviously limitations on your ability to speak with an adverse party and a witness. And so you want to reach out to opposing counsel and make sure that they are reaching out to their clients or whoever the witness is uh, to discuss their technological capabilities. Next, you also wanna figure out the platform you're going to use. Uh, what do I mean by platform? So today, for the purposes of this presentation, uh, the, uh, this is being done on Zoom, uh, but you may use Microsoft Teams, WebEx, uh, Google Hangouts, there are all kinds of technologies to, uh, to take a virtual deposition. So you need to figure out the platform you're going to use, and then of course, distribute that access information well in advance of the deposition and confirm that everyone has received it. You also wanna figure out what types of documents you will use and the distribution of those documents, uh, which we will uh, go into greater detail in a moment. Um, prepare your deposition binder. And then most importantly is do a practice run. Uh, if you have uh, a paralegal or an assistant or another attorney at your firm that can assist you, uh, you know, and, and send them an invite to the deposition uh, and then go ahead and join, you know, join the meeting or join the room uh, well in advance of the deposition to try out document sharing, make sure that your sound and video is working, and just generally test out the platform so that come day of the deposition, you're used to using all the, the bells and whistles of the platform that you are using. I'll turn it over to Deb uh, to talk a little bit more about what O'Brien and Levine does. Thank you, Sammy. You raised so many good points about um, working virtually producing um, transcripts that are clean and worthy of the court. And um, so for, for O'Brien Levine, video conference is not new. For many court reporting agencies, it is not new. The new thing is the game changer, as you noticed, noticed Sammy, about the court reporter being able to swear in that witness, 
remotely and as before that person they had to be together. So there's a few game changers here that help build confidence and keep your case on track. Also having a, a good court reporter as a resource to help guide you through this process. For many of you, it's new. For some of you, it's you've done it all along. And um, so having a good partner will help save some time, build confidence and trust and mitigate a lot of the issues that people are experiencing when they think about a virtual deposition going forward. So as far as video conference, you're right, it's preparation and testing is essential. And the court reporting resource that you're using for Brian Levine, for example, that we do require testing for all parties, including the witness, who some of you can't speak to directly. So we make sure that all parties have access to the technology to join, whether it's Zoom, live litigation, WebEx, the platforms are multiple, and we try to appeal to the requirements of what um, tool makes sense for, for the case. The links are secure. We provide helpful tips during this session of, of pre preparation. And Sammy touched a little bit on the video conference, uh, video recordings during a video conference. So it gets a little bit tricky. What is a recording? What is a conference? And for sure, he's already noted that a video recording testimony uh, is a videographer remote, just, um, just as uh, we all are that person is able to start and stop the proceeding along so that the conversations, if you're taking a break, do not go on the record. And full workflow that there's time, time stamped. And then if the request is, is necessary, we can provide a video sync. So it is truly seamless. And the, the tools that are in place for most court reporting agencies, I'm speaking of my experience only with O'Brien Levine because this is what we do here and the success that we're having with many of the litigators that we service. Thank you, Deb. And, and by the way, I, I do see that there are some um, either, you know, questions or, or comments coming in on the chat. Uh, we will be reserving hopefully ample time at the end of today's program to answer uh, questions uh, that, that do come in from today's audience. Um, so next, uh, we talked about prep preparing for the virtual deposition in advance. And then, uh, and, and now I want to talk a little bit about beginning the deposition. So once, um, once the day comes, everyone is now logged in into the meeting. Uh, there's uh, some things that are the same as a typical deposition. And then uh, over the course of the last, um, maybe I guess month and a half now, uh, I've developed you know, a list of, of ground rules uh, that, I, uh, that I communicate to everyone in the deposition, both to the witness, uh, her or his counsel, and also to my own clients that are attending. Um, that I think are, are important to convey during, uh, during the deposition. Uh, but, but before I go into that list, uh, Deb, do you want to talk a little bit about the court reporter's role uh, at the outset of, of a deposition in light of the standing order? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, you know, there is, the court reporter has a tremendous role at the table. Whether we're sitting together or this is a virtual, that, that position still maintains um, impartiality as well as getting the record the cleanest as possible. So the court reporter is a very important piece of this process in, in sort of guiding counsel and witness about things like don't talk over one another and taking your time to answer a question. So these um, sort of rules of being at the table still apply virtually and the court reporter helps facilitate a lot of the upfront stuff about what's on the record, how this proceeding is happening. The court reporter has to cite on the record that this is a virtual deposition where the witness is geographically and so forth. 
And um, they also help facilitate some of the technical um, issues during a proceeding and help mitigate them. But so for example, um, prior to everyone joining the room, we have an audio video tech that comes into the proceeding and makes sure that everyone is, is equipped and all set to go. And then he hands the role over to the court reporter to take the testimony. So these are, um, these are really key elements to having a successful deposition. No, not much different than your traditional approach, but certainly very important. And Sammy, you can speak to the points that you raised here and um, help share some more insight to this. Sure, thank you, Deb. So uh, of course, at the very beginning uh, of a deposition, you should go over the things you would typically do in an actual deposition. So once you've gone on the record, um, uh, obviously reading into the record, the, the stipulations that you and opposing counsel have agreed to uh, just uh, prior to going on the record, uh, you know, you're, I, I would call them my three, but everyone does them differently. Uh, parties agree that objections, except objections as to form are reserved and may be raised for the first time at trial. Uh, same thing with any motions to strike unresponsive answers and, uh, and that a witness will, will read and sign uh, the transcript within 30 days and waiving the, uh, the court filing. But whatever stipulations that you and, and, part, uh, and another party have agreed to, you'll want to make sure just as you would in an actual deposition to read those stipulations into the record. Uh, but over uh, the course of the last month and a half, uh, you know, I've hit certain snags in the depositions that I've taken and have developed you know, a list of ground rules that I like to set now at the beginning of the deposition just to establish expectations and some ground rules that are, that are specific to this unique way of taking a virtual deposition. The first is I encourage everyone involved, the attorneys and the deponent, and, and I follow this rule myself, which is to take short pauses um, after any question and answer. Why is it important to do that? My experience so far has been that everyone has you know, different internet speeds, different technological capabilities. And as a result of that, there is often some lag. Um, I have yet to experience uh, an instance where there's a lot of lag between you know, when I ask my question, when the witness actually hears my question and, and provides an answer. Uh, but in any event, there is some lag. And this creates two problems during a virtual deposition. One is if the witness doesn't take a pause between the question and providing his or her answer, it doesn't leave a lot of time for the attorney for the witness to both unmute her microphone and then raise any objections. Uh, so it creates the issue where, you know, if you don't encourage everyone to take pauses, oftentimes the attorney is speaking over her own client um, uh, by raising an objection while the client is answering. Uh, so if you encourage parties, uh, everyone involved, to take a short pause uh, between question and answer, it gives op uh, attorneys an opportunity uh, to raise uh, an objection. More importantly, if you're taking the deposition, it's important to, to take a pause after the witness has answered um, so that you don't ask a follow-up question and then interrupt more information that may be provided. Uh, it's happened to me quite a bit where a witness uh, will provide an answer pause for a moment and then decide to continue and provide more on information. And of course, if you're taking a deposition, you want the witness to talk and talk and talk 
and provide uh, all of the information that you are seeking from that question. Um, now, if you, uh, if you don't pay attention uh, and you don't allow for a pause, you may mistakenly, the witness may have spoken, but you may not catch that immediately because of the lag. And then you'll start talking over the witness and the witness might say something like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, and then you've missed out on that information. And so uh, I, uh, something that I follow and that, that, I, that I encourage others uh, to do on the call is, um, or, or on the virtual deposition is to take these short pauses. Uh, the next is, is in relation to breaks and, um, and the actual virtual deposition. So uh, for instance, I do the virtual depositions on Microsoft Teams. Uh, we are all here on Zoom uh, and, and there are a couple things that you can do. So when you join a Zoom call or you join a micro, Microsoft Teams call, uh, if, you, if you hit leave the meeting during a break or when you're done, uh, you, run, you run a couple risks. One is if you're the host, you might then kick everyone out of the meeting and it may be difficult to get everyone back, uh, back involved and, and logged back into the meeting. The other is uh, maybe you haven't done that, maybe you're not the host, but you log out. It might, may be difficult to go back and try to find the link to access the meeting again. Uh, and in any event, just creates a lot of unnecessary issues or headaches and, and maybe even delays. Uh, so what I do is I recommend to all of the attendants uh, to the virtual deposition, that when we take breaks, uh, whether they're short recesses or breaking for lunch, uh, I encourage everyone to stay in the meeting, but instead to uh, mute their microphones and turn off their videos. Uh, that way everyone stays in the meeting, just leave your computer for the time being and then come back, unmute, turn your video back on when you're ready to continue the deposition. Now, if you are using that break to talk to the client or to, uh, to, to make a phone call, uh, it's probably best practice to go ahead and leave the room. Uh, you would obviously do that during a typical deposition. You may feel comfortable staying in the room because no one else is there with you uh, because everyone should be home or in their office alone practicing social distancing. Um, but if you stay in the room, you run the risk of if you accidentally did not turn off your microphone or mute your microphone or for some reason the, the mouse is still hovering over the button, and, um, and, and you clicked uh, to turn the microphone back on, you do run the risk of having what, is, what should be a confidential and privileged conversation in front of everyone else on the call. So um, mute your mic, turn off your video, and I, and I do recommend if you're going to call someone who's on the deposition um, to, uh, to leave the room. Before I continue down, down the list, Deb, do you wanna talk a little bit about uh, a function that, that you provide through O'Brien and Levine if, if, if they use your services uh, where you can kind of create break rooms uh, within the Zoom meeting. Right, so these, uh, so for sure during a Zoom meeting, the, the uh, host has capabilities, at least the subscription model that we have here at O'Brien Levine, that Zoom helps you do exactly this. So there is no mess up on making things that inappropriate comments that you didn't really intend the whole um, group to hear. So within that, we, uh, you, we have the capability of creating breakout rooms just as if you were in the room and you went down the hall to the left or you went down the hall to the right just to meet and confer with, with your client or counsel. Um, so these tools are really flexible. Um, Zoom is our preferred model, but that's not limited to just Zoom. We have other capabilities that we turn to as well. And it just really at most times depends on the type of case and the requirements that are coming from all parties and what their capabilities are. 
but these seem like common sense things, but they're put into practice and very important to mention before the proceeding starts because sometimes we do forget it's not a normal thing to try to mute your microphone because we're sitting next to each other typically. So I just wanted to make sure we pointed out the, uh, the Zoom room breakouts and um, I'll, let you, I'll let it send it back to you, Sammy. Thank you, Deb. Uh, so, so Deb just hit on you know, the importance of muting microphones, but e even when you're all in the deposition, uh, to recommend to all parties that are not the witness and the attorney asking the questions that they have their microphones on mute, phones are off uh, during the deposition so as to minimize background noise. Uh, next, it's, it's a good idea at the outset to set the expectations regarding the use and review of documents. This is probably the most complicated aspect of taking a virtual deposition and we are going to go into great detail in a moment on various techniques to do this. But uh, what you should do is at the outset explain to everyone how you're going to be sharing documents, how you will be using documents, and how you will be confirming with the witness that they you know, recognize, uh, recognize a certain document before asking questions about that. Um, uh, next, it's important to remind the witness that they are expected to testify from personal knowledge. Now, in a typical deposition, this probably goes without saying. Um, but when you're doing a virtual deposition, my experience so far has been that the attorney uh, for the witness and the witness himself are not in the same room, that they are also remote. And um, it, uh, when they're in front of a computer, there's obviously temptation to open up a search engine, uh, open up additional documents, and, um, and, and, and read from a certain document or use something else than to testify from your own personal knowledge I'll be talking about some of the unique issues that have popped up uh, later on in this presentation around that, but I think it's just a good idea to set that expectation early that today my questions are intended to elicit information based on your own personal knowledge uh, during the course of the deposition. And finally, um, make sure to tell everyone before the deposition starts to make sure that their laptops are fully charged, uh, and preferably that they are plugged in so as to avoid a situation where um, someone, you know, someone's battery dies during the deposition, uh, which creates all kinds of <clears throat> issues uh, before you can uh, pick up where you left off. Uh, so now what I'm going to do is, is I'll, I'm gonna turn it over to Deb in a moment, but I, I just wanna say, you know, now we're gonna segue to talk about documents. And it's important to note that all, all court reporters are different. Uh, different attorneys use different services. Uh, and so what Deb and I are going to do is we are going to talk about different techniques that we use. Um, uh, she'll be talking about uh, services that O'Brien and Levine provide. I'll be talking about how I have dealt with um, documents in some of the depositions, virtual depositions that I've done. Uh, and then we can, um, uh, and, and then you'll have an ability at the end to kind of compare and contrast the, the different techniques of using and sharing documents. Uh, so with that, I'll turn it over uh, to Deb. Thank you. Um, as always with any process, the idea is to streamline it, save time, control costs whenever possible to you, your team, and to your clients. So there are some different approaches you can take to exhibit sharing. There's no doubt we've seen quite a few already, and we try to appeal to the tool that, um, that seems most robust, but also that can take you through the whole process of your case for witness prep, for hearings, arbitrations, and all the way to trials, including depositions, that goes without saying. 
And one of the software tools that we have been using for several years is a service called eDepose. It is truly a exhibit sharing platform and it allows you to upload documents, mark them, introduce them, annotate for one side or the other where it's the taking attorney annotating to send to the witness, the witness, witness annotating to send back to the taking attorney. Um, it mirrors your paper process. And one of the beautiful things about this software that we love is that it was here before COVID and it, it helps you even when you're at the table. So picture this, we're all virtual taking depositions, but eventually we go back to the table and conduct depositions in some fashion. This software helps you maintain continuity of staying digital throughout the rest of your career. So it, it has a plus and a minus of getting used to, as, but the pluses far outweigh the minus. Um, so this is the interfacing of ETAPOSE. There's a member section. If you could just go back to those three buttons, um, Sammy. The member is typically a taking attorney. The guest is typically opposing counsel and obviously witness is witness. And it mirrors your paper process. So the guest opposing a counsel walks away with a digital um, courtesy copy and the witness is view only and sees the marked exhibits. So you log in using your user ID and password. That's very straightforward. Um, prior to getting to this stage, you would or someone on your team would have created a case and uploaded the documents. But in lieu of time here for this session, we just really want to paint the picture of what it looks like for the day of this deposition. We have cases on the left and sessions on the right. So the sample case, you click on the witness, the sessions consider a witness. So we click on Allison for the deposition. Here are all your folders that you have created. So again, going back to mirroring the paper process that you have your folders, your red wells on the left, and to the right are the exhibits that you have uploaded previously. You click the blue button, begin session. A security measure comes forward that allows the taking attorney to let everyone who's participating enter the, the exhibit session. So you announce the session ID and passcode. Everyone joins the room. You go back to your list of exhibits. You, you pick up one of the exhibits. It allows you to view it before you distribute it. So yes, I want to click this blue button that says introduce. And this is a beautiful thing. Edipose is intuitive and knows that today is the deposition of Allison. It's exhibit one. It allows you to change that exhibit number if you have some sort of numbering fashion that doesn't, um, is different from what Edipose is starting with. It allows you to do that. You click the green button to distribute it. All parties receive the document that you have sent in real time. The exhibit sticker appears to, to the witness and the opposing counsel receives that courtesy copy without the sticker, just like in your paper world. And, and De Deb, before, um, uh, before I continue, do you wanna talk about some of these um, uh, buttons at the top that allow for manipulation of a document? Oh, right, so the annotating. So this is a very key um, and very important thing. We're preparing a, um, an, a case for Friday where the, the, in fact the, the witness is being recorded by way of video testimony that's preparing for a case that's going to trial at some point in the future. And um, the attorney wants to annotate and mark the exhibit with a sticker, but also make some annotations of highlighting. So these little um, tools at the top left, you see the red arrow, you see the highlighter, and then you see a little squiggly pen. So as a taking attorney, you can take that document, mark it, and then before you introduce it, send it with the annotation. And then on the flip side of that, 
we mentioned that sometimes attorneys ask the witness to actually annotate the document once they receive it. And so you have that capability as well. And the witness has the pen and the highlight too. I'm not showing it here. There's just so much of this software that um, features that I think would be helpful. And that would be safer, um, you know, down the road if there's something that you wanted to see more in depth that we'd be open to showing. Does that touch on your point, Sammy, that you wanted me to raise? Uh, yes, that's excellent. Thank you. And then as your day has gone on, um, while you're introducing exhibits, they are falling into an official exhibits folder that you have access to throughout the proceeding. And at the end, so this would obviously populate if sometimes there's more than one exhibit, but at the end, if you plan on not taking any more uh, testimony, this witness is through, you click finish, you depose ask you, are you sure, you finish the session. And you, everyone gets bounced out of the um, session, you log out, and now you have access to those exhibits in full workflow. And I talk about the full workflow because I think it's important to note that having a good partner, a good court reporting partner in the full workflow, when you're done sharing whatever platform you decide to use, whether it's Zoom and ePose or WebEx and some other document sharing platform, you want to work with a court reporting agency that has a, a repository. So you maintain that complete digital workflow. You don't have to go to the office to pick up a hard copy of the transcript. When the transcript is ready, it's delivered to you by email and a secure link using your user ID and password to access. You can schedule online with a portal, which is um, very robust and easy to use. The transcripts are provided to you with those linked exhibits that you have introduced at your proceeding from the court reporter that we've received at the end of the deposition. They're all electronic file formats, and we also dump in the PDF of those exhibits. And, um, you know, we talk about security. I think it's important to note that um, through the services that are being offered, you have the confidence and um, trust that the documents are safe and secure for only you to access and, on, and also members of your team, as well as opposing counsel. And in thinking about setting you up and getting ready for your next deposition, we talk a lot about training. And I don't mean training that, you know, it's so complicated you actually need training. It's just a lot of these strokes are just different from what you're used to in your paper world. And during these processes, we uncover challenges and help you overcome them. We work through technical issues, you know, for example, if maybe your witness doesn't have a laptop or a tablet at home, how are we going to help you get through this deposition? What, what could we do? Another thing might be that what we found early on was sometimes attorneys don't have cameras on their computers. So how do we get through that? So we, during this process, we uncover things to help mitigate, and Sammy had mentioned this earlier, help mitigate a lot of the technical issues. It helps build confidence and helps you prepare everyone on your team for successful proceedings so that when you are ready, you can feel good about having your case move forward. And, I, and we here at O'Brien Levine, um, in working with a good partner, I think having the support of a court reporting agency is key in the days leading up to and the day of these proceedings that you, know, you don't feel like you're just stranded in what happens if during this proceeding. So for us, we always have someone monitoring these sessions and um, I know for many of you who have seen my slides for Edipose and talking about video conference, you may have questions. 
about more in-depth look or functionality. And if that is true, we'd love to hear from you. I know we're going to leave time for questions, but my um, email is on the screen here, demo at court-reporting for more in-depth look at anything. And um, it's just been um, very helpful to have the, the training and support. Thank you, Deb. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about um, how I've been dealing with documents. So I don't, for, you know, if, if you're like me or you're like our firm, uh, we don't we don't have e-depose, and uh, and our and I don't know actually whether my whether the court reporter I do use has e-depose. Um, so we've been doing uh, dealing with documents differently, uh, and so I'll be talking a little bit about how you can use documents, share documents, manipulate documents if if all you have in front of you is you know one of these platforms like Microsoft Teams or Zoom, um, and uh, and and showing you ways in which you can you can manage this process uh, through, uh, through these platforms uh, alone. Um, I can't promise you it's perfect, but, uh, but with practice, it will, it will come close to seamless. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about some of the strategies in a moment. Um, but when it comes to documents, there are three things you actually wanna do with respect to documents well in advance of your virtual deposition. The first is take the time still to prepare a binder or binders of the physical documents you are going to use during the deposition. Why is that? Uh, during the deposition, when you're talking about documents, you will be relying on the share screen function, uh, which I'll talk about in a moment. And if you want to look for a specific response to an interrogatory or a specific photograph, or a specific uh, you know, sentence in an email, uh, you might find yourself scrolling through and, and, and going through various files on share screen and it just isn't clean. And so what I like to do during the deposition is I have a physical copy of my documents in front of me. I try to find the exact site that I'd like to use. Once I've done that, then I go uh, directly to that pinpoint uh, in the documents that are already up on the computer uh, before everyone. Uh, so that it's a little more seamless. So still prepare your physical binders, still have the physical documents in front of you and use those for your own benefit. You also may want to highlight uh, certain, uh, uh, certain sentences or um, figures or what have you in the documents, something that you, you can't do during, you know, in, in the deposition until you've actually uh, gotten into a back and forth with the witness. <clears throat> um, second, you wanna prepare a folder on your computer that you're going to be, uh, uh, that you will use that contains the electronic copies of all of your exhibits. Um, don't rely on the existing uh, document organization system that you have now when it comes time for the virtual deposition. Again, this is because you'll be using the share screen function. So if your screen is shared and now you're going to pull up another document, you don't want to X out of the document you're in and then have your entire, um, uh, electronic file organization system available for everyone to see. Uh, what you also don't want to have happen is see how, you know, have an attorney, opposing counsel, or anyone else see how you've titled certain folders uh, that are on your computer. And so to maintain that firewall, to maintain uh, some confidentiality, just create a separate folder that you'll have open during the deposition titled something like, Dep you know, deposition exhibit for so-and-so witness, uh, and, and you can just copy-paste exhibits into that folder that you intend to use during the deposition. 
And finally, uh, consider creating shareable links of the documents that you can then circulate to other parties during the deposition. Why is this important? With share screen, it's a little difficult to provide uh, as you would in a physical uh, in-person deposition, courtesy copies to opposing counsel to take a look at a document, maybe to your own client. When you're on share screen, you have to kind of scroll through the document for everybody so that everyone can take a look. Um, but if you create shareable links to the documents using, you can use uh, Dropbox, you can use OneDrive, uh, Google Drive, all, all free services as long as you don't hit a certain limit. Um, uh, I recommend you do that because then what you could do is you can share web links uh, with everyone else through a chat function. They can click it and then everyone has access to the document and they can scroll through it and look through it without disturbing um, your process during the, uh, during the deposition. So uh, viewing exhibits. So what I have in, in front of you are some screenshots. So I use Microsoft Teams. Uh, for any of you that have Microsoft Suite for your law practices, it's fairly easy to then get um, teed up to use Microsoft Teams. Uh, uh, Microsoft Teams is what I use for the virtual depositions. Of course, you can use Zoom, WebEx, uh, many of these other, I'm sure there are a ton of other platforms that I'm not aware of, and they all have the same types of functions. And so uh, when it comes time to view exhibits during the virtual depositions, you would use what's called the share screen function. And if you're on Microsoft Teams, I've indicated that here. Uh, for those of you who are joining this webinar by Zoom, uh, in, the, in the toolbar, for me, it appears at the top of the screen. Um, for many of you, if you're out of share screen, it will appear towards the bottom. There's a green button in the middle of the toolbar that, is, um, that can be used for uh, screen sharing. And so when you're ready to take a look at a document with everyone else in the witness, uh, you would then click the share screen button, uh, which will then share your screen with everyone else. Um, uh, obviously, I am using a fictitious case here. Uh, this is not a real case, so I'm not breaching any confidentiality issues. Uh, this is a, a fictitious wage and hour problem I give to my uh, legal writing students at Suffolk Law School. Uh, but in any event, uh, when you hit the share screen function, whatever is on your desktop will then appear for everyone else that is party to the deposition. Um, there is one other option for you. Uh, Microsoft Teams, and I believe Zoom does it as well, give you the capability to give someone else control over your desktop, which may make it a little easier to manipulate a document or scroll through a document for the witness. The one problem with that is I don't like the idea of giving an adverse party control over my desktop. Uh, it, there is the possibility that they can X out, they can see something I did not intend them to see. Uh, they can manipulate other documents. It's just it, probably to be on the safe side, I would not use the give control function and just use the share screen function. Uh, but in any event, once you share the screen, uh, they will have, um, they will then see whatever document you have pulled up on your computer. Now, what I do, uh, uh, what I do is, um, is before we start asking questions about this document, I give them the opportunity to review the entire document. Now, if you don't do shareable links, and send those links to everyone during the deposition. Uh, one other thing that you can do here is you can tell, to, uh, uh, you know, tell the witness, you know, I've put up this document that's been marked as exhibit one. Um, we are going to go through this document and then I'm going to ask you once I get to the bottom, if you recognize this document and what you recognize this document as. 
uh, and then you can instruct the witness to just let you know when you can scroll down to the next section of the document. And then you can just keep doing that until you get to the very end. Uh, but obviously, if you create shareable links and get that out to everyone during the deposition, uh, it makes that process a little more seamless. They can go through the document on their own time and then let you know when they're ready to discuss it. Manipulating exhibits is probably, this is where um, I think it's, it's a little, mo it's probably most difficult if you're doing it on your own without a software like eDepose, uh, but still very possible. Um, so when you're sharing documents, uh, when you're, when you're on, uh, using, using a computer, you can still manipulate a document as you would during a live deposition, you know, if they have a highlighter. So here, um, if you have a PDF document, you can see that uh, Adobe provides you um, with various tools uh, such as a highlighting function uh, to you know, highlight certain portions of a document. Uh, uh, last week, I took um, a deposition in, in a zoning case and uh, required me to put a photograph of the rear of, a, of the building that one of the uh, plaintiff abutters uh, lives in. And um, I wanted to identify you know, which, which unit and which set of sliding doors Belong to this um, belong to this specific neighbor. Uh, so what I did is I pulled up the the photograph using um, uh, using uh, just the Microsoft Photo um, suite. And when you pull it up, those uh, those programs give you all kinds of options to manipulate the document. You can draw on it. You can circle things. And so what I would do because the witness doesn't have the ability to manipulate on their end, I would go ahead and and you know pick the blue, uh, the blue marker, and I would put a square around their unit. And then at the end of that, I would ask the witness confirmation, um, do, you, do you see the blue box that I have um, drawn on the screen? Yes, I have. Uh, and is this uh, blue box a fair and accurate depiction of uh, uh, or surrounding of the unit that you live in? Yes, it is. And then you've at least, uh, for the purposes of the transcript and the record, identified that you know, this marked up document uh, is, is a photograph and that the witness has confirmed at least that the circled portion of the picture is his or her unit. And so that's how you'd kind of deal with manipulating documents if you don't have the ability to give it to the witness and let the witness do it himself or, or herself. So earlier I, I had recommended um, uh, using shareable links for each document. So uh, one thing that I've been doing just to share the document with everyone else and so that opposing counsel uh, can also look through the document and, and, and do it quickly and decide if they want to uh, raise any objections regarding the document is, um, so I use Dropbox and you can use, get access to Dropbox for free, again, as long as you stay under a certain uh, limit. Um, uh, but what you can do on Dropbox is for every document, you can create a shareable link. And so what I do in advance of the deposition is I create a shareable link for each of the documents that I plan on using, and then I put them all into a Word document. And I have this Word document available to me on my desktop. Um, so then when I decide, okay, I'm going to now share, uh, introduce uh, as, uh, as marked exhibit one, the rear photograph of the home. Uh, what I'll do is I'll open the chat box on Microsoft Teams and I'll share that link with everyone so that they can all review the document before I start asking questions about it. Um, again, this is going to be a lot easier than scrolling through the document with the witness uh, so that they can identify the document or the photograph. 
There is one other way you can do this, which you can share all of the exhibits in advance with opposing counsel. I don't like the idea of doing that for two reasons. Number one, I think it shows your strategy for the deposition. Um, you know, I think there is a, a nice thing about the element of surprise uh, when you're using exhibits during a deposition. The other aspect too is that you may not use all of the exhibits. And so you don't want to um, uh, give uh, opposing counsel or the witness uh, kind of an opportunity to understand where you might be taking your deposition. Um, uh, you know, I may have, I may have planned to use 20 documents dur during a deposition, but um, only found that I needed to use three or four. And so it just doesn't make sense for me to share all of the documents in advance. So alternatively, I've created this system where I create shareable links for my documents and then share them on Microsoft Teams. So I'll show you how to do that. So if you're on Microsoft Teams, and again, you can do the same thing when you're on Zoom. Uh, in the, on Zoom here, you, I, I know many of you have already seen it because I've seen folks uh, already submit uh, questions and comments in the chat function. But on Microsoft Teams, again, you'll see a toolbar at the bottom. It looks like a text box. If you click that, you can start a conversation. And then that conversation is available to uh, everyone that is uh, party to the uh, virtual deposition. <clears throat> and what you do is where I've indicated here on this uh, PowerPoint slide where it says insert link and send, uh, that's the chat box. You can put the link in there, press enter, and then it'll, it'll appear in the chat box for everyone else. And I've shown um, what that looks like for everyone with the uh, yellow, uh, the box that is uh, high, uh, surrounded with a, uh, with a yellow marker there. Um, so this is one way in which you can share the document with everyone else. They can review it, and then you can start asking about the document. Um, and then finally, when you're done talking about a document, you know, it's probably best practice just to go back to seeing everyone again uh, so that this document isn't available to them uh, to, to provide additional information. Uh, so what you want to do is after you're done using a document, you want to click the stop sharing button um, on Microsoft Teams or Zoom or whatever service you're using and then that'll return you back to the face-to-face um, -face virtual deposition. Um, I wanna talk uh, in closing about, before we turn, turn over to Q&A, about some unique issues that have come up for me. And I'm sure there have been unique issues that have come up for others, but uh, these are some that I've, I've already dealt with. One is out-of-state witnesses. Uh, so you know, this, this coming Thursday and Friday, I'll be taking depositions of individuals that actually reside in Oregon. And um, this creates an issue here in Massachusetts because my court reporter uh, is, uh, has the ability to take, uh, to, to swear on a witness, uh, but is only able to do that in, in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. Um, so if the witness is in Oregon, uh, that uh, the, the notary public that I use cannot administer that oath. And so what we've done in this instance is she is coordinating with a notary public or some other officer that can administer an oath in Oregon. And so uh, what we've done is this third party will join the very beginning of the virtual deposition on Thursday and Friday um, as an Oregon notary public to administer the oath for the Oregon residents uh, and then leave the virtual deposition so that we can continue uh, uh, with the question and answer portion of the, of the depot. The other issue that has come up are, uh, I, will, I will call wandering eyes of the witness. Um, as I said earlier, uh, with, you know, with the ability to now be on a computer or have notes or documents in front of the witness, 
they may look at other documents and coming up with uh, their answers. And so you want to uh, pay particular attention to that. Uh, see where their eyes are looking. If they're looking down a lot or they're looking to the side a lot and it looks like they're reading, you may want to ask some follow-up questions of, you know, where, uh, what are you relying on uh, to make that to make that statement? Are you are you reading anything right now to make that statement? And oftentimes they'll, you know, as they should, they should tell you the truth. And if they're relying on a document, they'll tell you that. Um, so I, I would just say that uh, make sure you're taking note of any documents that they tell you that they're looking at or reading during the deposition. Because uh, if you look at the Massachusetts uh, Guide to Evidence, Section 612, it states that um, when a testifying witness uses a writing or object to refresh his or her memory, an adverse party is entitled to the production of that document. So what you may want to do is keep track of the documents that a witness is looking at. And if they have not already been produced in discovery, um, you may then want to revisit your initial request for production of documents and see if those are documents that would have been responsive to previous requests and, and ask for a supplementation or send out another request for production of documents for the documents that were relied on to refresh the witness's memory during the deposition. Um, one thing to query, and, and I've been kind of looking around at this issue and actually I've been finding uh, cases that come, come down on either side is, uh, does, this, does this section 612 rule also apply to uh, documents that may be subject to the attorney-client privilege? Why am I bringing this up? I've had an, a situation already where a witness started reading from an email from her attorney uh, to provide answers to some of the questions that I was giving. Obviously that raises all kinds of potential uh, coaching issues, uh, unclear whether the email was sent during the course of the deposition or in advance of the deposition to prepare. Uh, but in any event, uh, the witness started to read from, uh, from the email. And so, you know, one interesting issue uh, that probably requires further research is whether Section 612 also applies uh, to documents uh, that are otherwise protected under the attorney-client privilege, but also if a witness starts reading from that email, has the, has the witness actually waived the attorney-client privilege with respect to that communication. So all of this to say is that interesting issues do come up. Um, they, they can be conquered, uh, but the virtual deposition is, is just a really great way uh, to keep these cases moving. It takes a little time to get used to, uh, but, but eventually it, it works. Um, and I think everyone uh, will be um, happy and, 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 and better for it. Uh, so uh, with that being said, um, I, um, I'm going to get out of the, the share screen function and uh, we are going uh, to do some Q&A. Unless, Deb, do you have anything to add to the unique issues slide? Oh, just very quickly on the out-of-state witnesses. So a, a best practice that we have is we have a partner, national partner network that we refer to during out-of-state testimony that the court reporter, similar to in being in Massachusetts, is in that particular state swearing in that witness remotely. And so it's pretty seamless to you all who are using us as a resource and um, keeps your case moving and helps streamline it so you don't waste a lot of time finding that resource in geographically. Uh, great, thank you, Deb. Um, so what I'm going to do is with the time um, that we have left here is uh, go through some of the uh, Q&A that has been uh, submitted um, uh, that has been uh, already submitted from uh, the attendees today. So the first is, uh, we have a question here that says, was it said that a notary 
might also perform a virtual notarization. Uh, and, and Deb, you can add to this. I, I don't think so. Um, now, what's interesting in, in Massachusetts, um, uh, I think this is unrelated to depositions. Obviously, there is the um, new uh, virtual or, or electronic notarization uh, legislation. But um, I, I don't know that I, I'm quite sure uh, what this what this is asking. But um, uh, but for the purposes of uh, a notary who is swearing in a witness, the effect of the standing order is that now a notary um, who previously under state law had to be in the physical presence of a witness uh, may now swear in a witness remotely, uh, so long as it is done both um, with audio and video. Uh, it, cannot, it cannot, my understanding is that it cannot be done uh, telephonically. The other question that we have here, it says, what if a witness uh, does not have a home computer with a video camera or a smartphone, um, and how can this work if there are exhibits? Uh, this, this situation is not happening to me, but Deb, do you want to talk a little bit about maybe when, when you guys are performing your um, assessment of technological capabilities in advance of a deposition, and it turns out that a witness uh, does not have uh, the technological capabilities, are there solutions for this? Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting, right? And, and before COVID and before we all were working remotely, these issues came up. And the way that um, we have overcome them is um, we can provide the hardware to that witness. That's, that's number one. So we could have somebody take, take the hardware to that person's home. Maybe not the best practice while we're doing this, but that service is available. The other option is, and this is um, um, an attorney just mentioned this to me a couple of days ago, is that they, as a taking attorney, would ship the documents in your traditional form to the witness's home and let the witness have them prior. It's a little, I mean, again, a little not as clean as you want it to be because you don't necessarily want the witness to see the documents before your deposition. Um, the other option is um, in some geographic locations, you're able to bring the witness to a location that does have the technology. And that's another service. Um, I'm hopeful that over the course of time that things will loosen up here and not everyone will maintain this working remotely thing. But I hope that answers your question. There's a few different approaches to take is the bottom line. And um, if that's a situation that you're experiencing, we'd love to talk to you and see how to help get that de deposition moving forward. Thank you, Deb. Uh, the next question here, it says, how do, how, how do you deal with larger documents like architectural drawings? Uh, th this is a great question. This has actually come up in, in my depositions uh, in the zoning case that I mentioned earlier. Uh, we did have uh, architectural drawings and a, and a plan set for the proposed project that we had to go through. Um, it can still be done, right? So uh, you can still create shareable links. You can still share your screen. Um, what, uh, uh, if, if, if you have the documents in PDF format, uh, there, is a, there is a way in which you can um, uh, zoom out so that the whole document appears full screen so that you can see all four corners. Now, the problem with an architectural drawing or a plan is some of the text is just so small, especially, you know, if you're looking at a note section or um, if, if it's describing, you know, which elevation of the project you're looking at, that text might be very small. Um, or even if you're looking at dimensions on the plan, uh, you know, the number of feet between the footprint of the building and, and the, uh, the, the, um, the property line, what have you. 
Uh, the best, the best thing I've been doing, and, and Deb, you can jump in if you have other suggestions, is really just relying on the zooming in function on Adobe PDF. Um, and then you can, there's the, if you click the, there's an icon that looks like a hand, you click that, you can move the document around and zoom in on different portions of the document if the text is too small. Um, that's kind of how I've been dealing with it. Deb, uh, do you have any additional suggestions on uh, larger documents? Well, similar to what you're saying, uh, Edipose allows uh, something called a placeholder. So you could use that placeholder to help you discuss the document. And maybe like you said, Sammy, that there's just a piece of that document that you need to discuss. So th that, that is a good workaround, whether it's perfect, no, but maybe it just satisfies for this proceeding, allows you to get through that document and discuss the, the big plan with the micro uh, piece that you need to put forward. So that is a workaround. And to Sammy's point about zooming in on different features and showing the four corners and then maybe introducing it through Edipose in just the snapshot of what you need to show. Great. And, and um, uh, by the way, everyone, I am, I am co cognizant of time. I know we're a little over one. We have a couple more questions left that I think are great, uh, which I'll go through. But of course, if, if for some reason you need to drop out um, uh, you know, I just want to say th thank you for, for attending today, and, um, and we will provide a copy of this PowerPoint to everyone following uh, the presentation. Um, another, another question here says, do you have any suggestions on how to safeguard against a client and attorney texting or emailing during the virtual deposition? And, you know, again, I think this is the biggest, this is the biggest issue with virtual depositions. Um, and that is why I think it is a good idea at the outset of the deposition to provide uh, to everyone a set of ground rules and expectations. Um, and and I, think it's a, I think it's a great idea to remind everyone that it is, uh, that, that you know, witness coaching is, is inappropriate if you feel the need to do something like that. Um, and to explain that, you know, during the course of the deposition, uh, the client and the attorney and the client and anyone else should not be texting or emailing uh, during the virtual deposition. Of course, it's very hard to police that. Um, there isn't really a way to lock out uh, a witness um, uh, when they're on their computer from accessing anything else on the computer. As I said, you know, I had a scenario where there was an email from an attorney to the client, unclear whether it was during the deposition or before. It sounded like it was before, but there really isn't a way to know that. I mean, I think this is the issue. I think it's just a good idea to remind everyone so that um, they're just a, they understand that that's not okay, and hopefully, just that fear uh, of knowing that it's not okay is enough to prevent that from happening. But you know, that, that's that's the issue when it comes to um, doing this virtually is you can't see everything that's happening in the room. Um, obviously, just pay close attention to the witness, uh, pay close attention to the witness's eyes. Um, you know, the same thing goes with the real life deposition. Uh, you should be listening, you should be paying attention, try not to be married and constantly looking down at your script. Um, and if, if, you're, if you're really paying attention and listening to the witness, you should be able to catch if the witness is clearly reading um, from a document or their computer or their phone. Um, the, ne the next question is, um, is Dropbox sufficiently secure to share link confidential materials like medical records? You know, I, I, I personally don't have um, knowledge of whether or not that's the case. I've not, I suppose I've not had issues with Dropbox. Um, uh, and I've obviously, and I've used Dropbox for other secure transmission of materials well before the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Um, I think that's probably best suited for uh, uh, if, you're, if your firm works with an external uh, technology consultant or service provider, um, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously what Deb was talking about earlier is if you're using a court reporter that has uh, secure services like e-depose, um, that should uh, protect against, you know, the, the possibility of any uh, leaks or, or breaches of, of confidential materials. Deb, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, it it, it goes without saying in some way. If, if you don't, if dot, if you can't produce a secure measure from the software that you're pulling from, then it's probably not your best practice. Uh, we have so many of our tools that attorneys are asking for the security measures to vet them. Does this meet our qualifications for the proceeding that we're about to take? So we kind of defer to you to make sure that the tools that you're using are sufficient for that meet your standards for HIPAA and other client privilege um, necessities. Uh, the, ne the next question I have here, it says, when it comes to using any paid software for any part of a deposition, are parties obligated to purchase the software chosen by the other party? Can one party be obligated to reimburse another party for chosen software? So, you know, the, the first part is, I, I don't know that that is an issue to begin with. Um, uh, I think it's the case with eDepose. It's certainly the case with the services that I use, like Microsoft Teams. You know, we, we pay, our firm pays uh, for the Microsoft suite, and that is a service that costs us money. But when you circulate links to others to join the, the virtual deposition, the meeting, there is nothing they need to pay for on their end to then access the virtual deposition. So if you're using, you know, if you're, if you're sending the information to access um, uh, uh, the deposition, Microsoft Teams or Zoom, or I suppose even, uh, I, or I guess, Deb, you use Zoom, but then the guest can log in on eDepose. I, I don't believe that there's any cost borne at the outset uh, by, uh, uh, by, uh, by the other party. Uh, Deb, is that, is, is that the case with eDepose or does eDepose require all parties to pay a certain fee associated with its use? Yeah, this is another really good question and it's all about usage and subscription. So typically um, when you're using video conference, at least with O'Brien Levine, I'm sure other court reporting agencies as well, that typically there's a charge to connect by video conference and it's a flat fee, typical uh, setup plus a, a per diem charge. But during this time that we're all working remotely that O'Brien Levine is waiving that video conference charge. So there is no charge to that service. When you're using platforms like eDepose, you don't have to buy the software. It's, it's just a per usage type of thing. So I can speak to that. And that is um, typically if you're opposing counsel, you walk away as a courtesy copy, there's no charge to you. If you're the taking attorney, then there is a charge, but it is, it is just a one-time usage type of fee. If in the long term you love this software, then there's a subscription model, but there's no need to purchase software. And I hope that helps answer the question. And, and then there's an important second part, which is can one party be obligated to reimburse another party for chosen software? You know, I, 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 don't, I don't think as of right, you know, I would, I would say, and, and my apologies for not having the rule in front of me, and I don't know the exact citation, but you know, I, I am aware that under at least the rules of civil procedure, um, where, where uh, certain types of discovery are so burdensome um, on, on a party, uh, you know, for instance, you, you know, you've noticed a live deposition. I don't think you'd get away with it during COVID-19, but you noticed a live deposition. Other party doesn't want to make the trip. 
uh, doesn't want to appear. So they've asked, can we do this virtually? Uh, there might be you know, some opportunity under the rules of civil procedure to ask for reimbursement or to come to an agreement on, on uh, fee, fee sharing uh, if, if you're the taking party, but you're accommodating the witness uh, to do it their way versus the way you wanted to do it. Um, but I, I don't think that there is a, you know, uh, a way you can do this as of right to obligate the other party to purchase it or to share the fees. Um, uh, my guess is, you know, as the taking attorney is noticing it and, and using the software, you're probably uh, paying the bill. And, and, and if, you're, if you have a, a fee arrangement, uh, passing that on to the client. Um, the next, uh, next question here, it says, for all virtual depositions, is only the deponent and the attorney taking the deposition required to be shown or anyone in attendance? Uh, for example, the attorney defending the deposition. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there is a requirement that everyone can be seen. I think, um, I think when, the, uh, when the swearing in is happening, my guess is at the very least, the uh, court reporter, notary public, and the witness herself or himself uh, must both be available by video and audio uh, for the purposes of the standing order. Um, you know, we know that depositions, um, I think initially, uh, but had to be by, by leave of court, but it's, you know, there, there are ways to do it, could be even taken telephonically. And so um, I don't think that there's an obligation that the others, um, that the others also be shown. Uh, in fact, um, you know, where in the depositions that I've done, um, my, where my, you know, my client is in attendance, uh, they typically have the video off, uh, but there is an icon that shows that they are still present in the meeting. Earlier, you may have seen some of the um, screenshots uh, you, and you saw my initials, SN. Um, when your video's off, your initials will appear for everyone else to see. So you can still tell that the, you know, the client or anyone else attending is there, but I don't believe that there's a requirement that the, um, that the video stay on. Um, Another question that I see here, uh, it says, I was told that the attorneys could agree that a Massachusetts, New Hampshire court reporter uh, swear in a client that is living in North Carolina because it is a New Hampshire case. Are the swearing in-laws different, um, different by state? Uh, I, I, I personally don't know the answer to this question. You know, from, from, from the situation I'm dealing with, my understanding is that um, uh, the court reporter who's also administering the oath is only a notary public and has gone through the process in a specific state. And it requires, and under the standing order, um, uh, uh, she may swear in now a witness remotely. Um, but I believe because in, in, in Oregon, there's a requirement that the, an oath of an Oregon resident uh, be, be taken by someone who is authorized in Oregon to administer that oath. Uh, she could not do that because she's only authorized to do it in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Um, I, I don't know that that directly answers that question. Deb, do you have um, any thoughts on this? I mean, all I can say is I guess um, you have to follow the rules of, you, of your case. Um, we, have, we have had uh, swearing in remotely, um, but typically we defer to the resource in that particular state that swears the witness in that takes the testimony. That's what we typically do, but certainly if there's something more pressing, I'm sure their rules are different across the country. Um, I'm personally just not aware of them. Uh, there's um, 
Sorry, a just a couple questions left. There is a question here. It says, isn't there an issue with shared links and that the witness is not looking at the actual exhibit? Um, again, yes, I, it is very possible that a witness is not looking at a, an exhibit that you have shared and that you're showing up on the screen. Now, I suspect if, if, you're, if you have an exhibit, you've shared the exhibit with everyone and now you're asking questions about it, I think, you know, I think it's fair to assume that the witness is looking at the exhibit you're asking questions about to answer so that the witness can answer those questions. But, you know, again, um, all the taking attorney can do is, is do your best um, uh, and, and, and pay attention to the witness and watch the witness. Uh, but it's very difficult to police what is going on in the, in the witness's room, wherever, uh, wherever they, they, they may be. Um, uh, the next uh, question, it says, is there a way to see the witness on camera while they are reading a shared document if you share your screen? The answer to that is yes. So um, when you're taking the deposition and you share your screen, uh, it, certainly this is how it's been on Microsoft Teams and this is how it works on Zoom as well. Um, the, the, the video of the, the, or the, yes, the screens showing the individuals will still appear, but they'll be off to the side. And you can mess with the view on Microsoft Teams and Zoom and probably any other service, but typically it'll, the document will now take up the majority of your screen, but on the sides, uh, you will have you know, small, uh, small windows where you can still see uh, the witness and you can see the reporter and anyone else who's part of, part of the deposition. So yes, you can, you can see both at the same time, so long as you've set up your gallery view to, uh, to permit that. Um, uh, do any services have ability to see whether the window a witness is using is an active, is an active window? Um, I've heard WebEx allows the host to see whether a participant is on the screen actively or using other windows on same screen. This would seem one way to track and ask about witnesses' distractions. So I, I am aware that you can do that on certain services. I've, I've not used that just because there's so much going on during a deposition that it just makes it difficult to, to follow something else. Um, but I know that on, on Zoom, you can certainly do that. In fact, um, in, in, my other, in my other job teaching at, at the law school, um, you know, we have been provided training on how to monitor uh, whether students are paying attention to your lecture or doing something else. And so there is a way to see whether they are on the screen or if they're doing something else uh, during the deposition. So you'd have to mess around um, the service that, that you are using. Um, Deb, do you, have you had any experiences with using something like that? Yeah, so it's just a little unclear to me. So I think what you're saying is you want to make sure that is, is the person that's participating in the proceeding not jumping out to another screen to look at something else. Is that kind of what they're saying? Is that the gist of it? Yeah, look um, at just a, do a document they shouldn't be, what have you. Yeah, I mean, in the controlled sense, um, you know, I guess they can certainly push the envelope, but like you said earlier about, you know, the wandering eyes and making sure that they're not doing those things. If you try to um, mitigate as much as possible, or we just personally haven't seen it e even in, before COVID, we just haven't seen it. It just seems like the civility is there and people are cooperating the best, not to say that we're not aware of it, but um, I hope that helps. I, I just don't have a lot of experience that way. Uh, 
the, the last question I have here, it says, are you finding that defending attorneys or the witnesses attorney are turning their camera on uh, during the deposition? My experience has been yes. Um, everyone has had their cameras on uh, except for, um, uh, I think the only person that's been turning them off in my depositions has been my own client. Um, so I, I, I see a message here from the BBA that our time is definitely up now. Uh, I apologize for going over. These are all great questions. Um, uh, you know, on, on the screen and, and with the PowerPoint, you'll see uh, both Deb's and my contact information are there. Um, uh, Deb, of course, is, has already said, uh, feel free to contact her. And also, if you just want to walk through um, a deposition or want to talk about, um, uh, want to pick my brain or talk about my experiences, I'm very happy to get on a call with you um, or, uh, or by email and talk about uh, some of my experiences uh, doing these virtual depositions. Um, again, I want to thank everyone uh, for attending today. I want to thank the BBA and I hope everyone and yours uh, stay very safe and healthy during these times. Thank you. Thank you, Sammy.